0: Today's broadcast originally aired on March 29th,
1: 2023. For me, the only reason why I think he's doing it is so he stops people from voting.
2: Correct. That's why he's doing it, to stop people from voting.
3: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Specifically, Democratic I people. I got the feeling something right.
2: Because he's a report. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Seeing a pattern here? And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Thought I'd call it out. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hey. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And as I'm reading through that list, I'm thinking, oh yeah, we're going to be talking about you, we're going to be talking about you, we're going to be talking about you... We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, From Bradblog.com I'm sure you agree Thank you very much for joining us today For another thrilling edition of the Bradcast And if you heard yesterday's edition of the Bradcast I spent quite a bit of time throughout the show Making the um, sort of blunt argument That Republicans support murder And oppose democracy And that media ought to call them out for it By name As opposed to, you know, some lawmakers in D.C. or Congress, uh, uh, this or that. I believe that the corporate media's knee-jerk tendency to try and avoid the appearance of partisanship somehow by calling out... Uh, You know, by not calling out each party by name, that that's a tremendous disservice to the nation. And frankly, it's part of the reason, a large part of the reason that we have spiraled into such a precarious and dangerous mess in this country, both when it comes to our increasingly horrific gun epidemic and our increasingly perilous democracy in a country where Republicans, Almost universally at this point, Republicans both refuse to take any action that might make citizens, including children, safer by, for example, banning assault weapons again. Remember, they were previously banned from 1994 to 2004, and they kept violent mass shootings from increasing in frequency and deadliness. As they have increased since George W. Bush, a Republican president, failed to re-up that law when it sunsetted in 2004. Uh, And by Republicans adopting all sorts of measures to make voting and direct democracy by the people via ballot initiatives to make all of that more difficult. And by blocking the expansion of voting rights at the same time, all paving the way for, yes... American authoritarianism. That is Republicans doing those things. That is not lawmakers doing those things. That is not Congress doing those things. That's not uh, the government government doing those things. That is Republicans doing those things.
0: And they should be called out by name by the media so that the public knows that it is Republicans that are doing it.
2: Well said, Desi Doyen. How are you? (laughs) I'm all right. A little bad,
0: but Uh, I'm all right.
2: That's the spirit. That's what we like to hear. Now, listen, by the way, that does not mean that Democrats are wonderful or perfect. Just because we've, you know, we've gotten to this place in this country where if you uh, call out Republicans, that must mean you're a Democrat. That must mean you think Democrats are perfect in every way. No. But when it comes to blocking, you know, simple regulations to decrease gun violence, to uh, decrease murder of children, it is Republicans uh, who are refusing to do that, who are blocking such regulations. When it comes to the adoption of laws to make voting more difficult for people who tend to, Uh, Vote against Republicans or blocking laws that make it easier for all citizens to vote. It is Republicans who are doing that. And if you don't call them out for it, well, then, you know, nobody has to take responsibility for anything. And it's just darn those politicians. Aren't they terrible up there in D.C.? It doesn't make one a partisan. For pointing these things out, it makes one a truth teller, frankly, and the American public, uh, you know, would be really well served right around now uh, by a whole bunch more truth tellers in our media as far as I'm concerned. So uh, we've got a uh, yet another example of the rise of Republican authoritarianism when it comes to voting with my guest joining us momentarily, but on the GOP supporting murder front following monday's shooting of uh, 3 nine-year-olds and three adults at a private Christian elementary school in Nashville, Tennessee, just the frankly latest of hundreds of school shootings in this country over the past couple of decades. Here's a bit of reporting, a good reporting in truth for the most part from uh, Sky News US correspondent James Matthews who was who asked uh, Tennessee Republican Congressman Andy Ogles, I think that's how you say yes. his name. He represents, Ogles represents the district where this shooting at the Covenant School took place on Monday in Nashville. He asked uh, Ogles about his family's Christmas card, which, incredibly, had featured him, this Republican congressman, and his wife and their three children, all holding semi automatic assault weapons. Because, you know, Merry Christmas. Christ the Revenger? I don't know. Uh, anyway, they're Jesus all... Jesus
0: wants you to have guns in your Christmas card?
2: They're all smiling. They're holding these long guns in front of the Christmas tree, posing with them. Very nice. Merry Christmas. Well, uh, Sky News' James Matthews uh, tracked down Ogles to uh, to talk about it.
3: A picture uh, of House Representative Andy Ogles. He's very much part of the pro-gun lobby welded to the so-called Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. And take a look at his 2021 Christmas card, you know, a poster boy and postcard boy for the gun lobby. That's mum, dad and the kids wielding what appear to be assault weapons. He has taken that down from his Facebook feed in the wake of the Nashville shootings. But this is a a first-term House member who represents the very area where we've seen this shooting in the past 24 hours. We took a short trip to Capitol Hill to have a word with House member Andy Ogles and about that particular image. Mr Ogles, I'm James Matthews from Sky News. How are you? Can we ask you a quick couple of questions, would you mind? Real quick, I apologise, I have to run to... No, I understand. Do you regret parading your family wielding weapons on your Christmas card? Uh,
2: why would I regret taking a family photo
3: with my family and exercising my constitutional rights? Well, the, right, you. the right to life surely outweighs the right to bear arms. How are your you? constituents would say that. Uh, Tennessee
2: House. Yeah, I've got to run and do a quick uh, okay. meeting, but I'll be right
3: back. Great. Look you. Sir, does the right to life outweigh the right to bear arms? Mr Ogle, why did you take that picture down from your Facebook feed? Why didn't you take it down in the wake of other mass shootings? If it was bad taste now, was it not bad taste then? Silence from House Member... Ogles there. President Biden hasn't been silent. Uh, Within hours of the Nashville shootings, he was repeating his call for a ban on assault weapons. And as I said, the majority of Americans, 57%, are in favour of stricter gun controls. But he and they know that even in this dark hour, given the entrenched politics around the issue of guns in this country, despite the clamour for change... There is little prospect of it in sight. So
2: a good report there from James Matthew of Sky News, though I don't know if you noticed, but he never called out Republicans.
0: He never said the word Republicans.
2: He did not say that Andy Ogles was in fact a Republican. And by the way, when he was singing the praises of uh, Joe Biden for calling for a ban on uh, assault weapons, he did not point out that he happens to be a Democrat. And in the process Though a good report, though I'm happy to see him trying to call ogles on the carpet for his idiocy. Good point. Why didn't you take it down before, Andy, with all of the other shootings? It only matters now that it's in your district anyway. In the process, I think that um, James Matthews, in that case of Sky News, ends up ill-serving. The nation by not calling these folks out so that voters can understand who is doing what, who's in favor of what, who's against what. Call them out. It does not make you a partisan to do so. Then there was this from earlier this month. This was before the Covenant school shooting in Tennessee, though after uh, countless others like it. Uh, So, you know, this comes from John Stewart. He's a comedian and a satirist he is not a journalist per se, but he sat down with another pro-murder anti-democracy Republican. in this case it was a Oklahoma state senator Nathan Dom uh, it was on uh, his show The Problem with John Stewart, as it's called. Dom has written several bills loosening state gun restrictions, yes, in Oklahoma including the nation's first anti-red flag law to, prevent guns from being taken away from those who are deemed mentally ill by a court. Dom says that he thinks loosening gun safety laws will make America safer. Well, Stewart points out just a bit of hypocrisy from the senator and his party. Well, you know, a party that used to complain about big government and, uh, you know, laws that were adopted by Democrats that they consider to be part of the nanny state. Well, guess not so much anymore.
4: Even rights have responsibilities and that within those responsibilities, responsibilities are responsibilities yes. and order. Otherwise, it's chaotic. I'll go you one further. You want to ban drag show readings to children. To my why? House, yes. Why? 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 What are you protecting? Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18, from voting? Why are you banning but also that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh-huh. in certain circumstances. What's to the children? leading cause of death amongst children in this country? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. Correct, yes. So what is it? I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. More than cancer, more than car accidents. And what you're telling me is. You don't mind infringing free speech to protect children from this amorphous thing that you think of. But when it comes to children that have died, you don't give a flying f*** to stop that because that shall not be infringed. That is hypocrisy at its highest order.
2: Well done, John Stewart. Yeah. Again. And again, he's a comedian and a satirist, not a journalist but doing a hell of a job, uh, doing a hell of a journalist job there by holding uh, folks like that, holding their feet to the fire. And uh, this guy, you know, uh, the goal is that government has a responsibility to protect children, but another school shooting? Yeah, sorry about that. Good luck to you, kids. Get under the desk. You know, get one of those uh, backpacks and hold a book up. Maybe that'll help. So now let's add all of that today to what happened earlier this afternoon in Kentucky. Remember, Republicans, not particularly long ago, I'm old enough to remember it, they used to complain that the government should stay out of the private lives of Americans. You know, it's like everything... Everything that I feel like I have yelled and screamed about for the past 10 or 20 years on the air when I was trying to point out, no, Republicans don't really mean that. No, Republicans don't actually care about the nanny state. No, Republicans, uh, you know, don't believe the government should stay out of the private lives of Americans. It's like they're. Yeah, they don't actually. They don't actually care about
0: law enforcement or any of
2: those things. Any of those things they claim. They don't give a damn about any of them, and 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 dare I say it, you know, we don't need the nanny state. Remember how furious they were about Obamacare, the government coming between a a person and their doctor. And well, <laughs> apparently now we need a nanny state to look after our kids. Uh, that that's what uh, parents and dare I say it, doctors working with those families. Should do. They should. uh, The government should come between them. And uh, the government must help parents make the best decisions for their own families and their own children, apparently. Yes, according to lawmakers in Kentucky today, Republican lawmakers, Republican lawmakers in Kentucky on Wednesday swept aside the Democratic governor's veto of a bill regulating some of the most personal aspects of life for transgender young people, from banning access to gender-affirming health care to restricting the bathrooms they can use. As AP reports today, the votes to override Governor Andy Beshear's veto were lopsided in both legislative chambers where the GOP wields supermajorities and came on the next-to-last day of this year's legislative session. The debate is likely to spill over into this year's gubernatorial campaign in Kentucky, which are held, by the way, in Kentucky in odd-numbered years, and could reach the courts if opponents follow through on the threat to mount a legal challenge against the bill, which I suspect they almost certainly will. Activists on both sides of the impassioned debate gathered at the State House to make com- uh, competing appeals shortly before the lawmakers took up the attempt to override the Democratic governor's veto of the ch- transgender bill on Wednesday. A few hours before the vote, as transgender rights advocates had rallied outside Kentucky's Capitol, Trans teenager Sun Pakjia held up a sign sum, uh, summing up a grim review of Republican legislation aimed at banning access to gender affir- affirming health care. The sign read, our blood is on your hands. And by the way, I should note uh, AP's reporting here. This is from Bruce Schreiner doing a good job of explaining that Republicans are the ones who are doing this. Democrats are the ones who are opposing that. The uh, 17-year-old student said, uh, if it passes the restricted access to gender-affirming health care, I think trans kids will die because of that. The student was expressing a persistent concern among the bill's critics that the restrictions could lead to an increase in teen suicides. Well, the Senate ended up, the state Senate ended up voting 29 to eight, almost entirely along party lines, to override the Democratic governor Bashir's veto. As chants from the opponents of the bill echoed throughout the Capitol, short time later, the House in Kentucky completed the override on a similar party line, though not before chanting opponents of the bill were removed from the chamber. Hmm. Naturally, bill supporters claim that it protects trans children from undertaking gender affirming treatments that they might regret as adults, though research shows such regret is incredibly rare. Still interesting to see that Republicans are now in favor of the nanny state. Coming in between a doctor and their patients on everything from, yes, gender care to abortion rights, apparently. How could we do it without the government? How could we do it without Republicans deciding... What sort of medical treatment that you and your family should have? It's only to, you know, keep the children safe.
0: Or deciding what books your children are able to read. And you don't get to decide that. Republican governors and some parents in your district get to decide what your kids get to read. Or watch
2: Democratic Senator Karen Berg in Kentucky said in opposing the bill, quote, We are denying families, their physicians and their therapists the right to make medically informed decisions for their families. Berg read what her son wrote in advocating for transgender rights shortly before his death last year at age 24. The cause of his death, suicide, said his mother. Transgender medical treatments have long been available in the U.S. They are endorsed by major medical associations. It's only lately that Republicans have decided they're against all of this for some reason, largely because I guess Fox News told them they should be. The sweeping Kentucky measure would ban gender-affirming care for minors. It would outlaw gender reassignment surgery for anyone under 18, as well as the use of puberty blockers and hormones and inpatient and outpatient gender-affirming hospital services because Republicans say that should not be allowed. In fact, doctors will now have to set a timeline to, quote, detransition. Children who are already taking puberty blockers or undergoing hormone therapy. So, yeah, nanny state anyone ordering doctors to perform certain medical procedures, whether the doctors think it's right for their patients or not. Moreover, the bill would not allow schools to even discuss sexual orientation or gender identity with students of any age no not just kids who are under eight not just kids who are three four seven of any age there will be no more discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in the state of kentucky thanks to republicans you know because they want to keep the kids safe unless it's from mass murder by an ar-15 wielding shooter then you know what good luck kids you better hide Another trans teenager, Hazel Hardesty, said the potential discontinuation of gender affirming health care would mean, quote, my male puberty would continue, which would, quote, cause a lot of mental distress. The uh, 16 year old said during the rally, people do not even understand how this feels going through the wrong puberty every day. Your body is a little bit farther from what feels like you And eventually, you don't even recognize yourself in the mirror. Well, don't worry about that. Republicans in Kentucky, they know what's best for you, dear. Not your parents, not your doctor. The Republicans in the state legislature will decide your medical care from here on out, if you don't mind. The legislation in Kentucky is part of a national movement, of course, with Republican state lawmakers approving extensive measures that restrict the rights, restrict the rights of LGBTQ plus people this year. At least 10 states now have enacted laws restricting or banning gender affirming care for minors. And though the uh, article here doesn't uh, mention it, Every single one of them is controlled by, yes, Republicans. Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Georgia, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi, Tennessee, Utah, and South Dakota. A proposed ban is now pending before the Republican governor in West Virginia. So uh, that's where we are. And it seems like uh, if you like the way this is going... If you like the lack of rights and freedoms, if you like the number of Americans, children being murdered, if you like the government telling you you have no right to an abortion, you have no right uh, to decide your own medical care, if you like it, good. You should know it's Republicans bringing you all of that. It is Republicans who are taking away your rights to those things. You should know that and the media should tell you. We will. And just in case you want to vote against some of those lawmakers, the next chance you get, well, you know, in the state of Virginia today, just the newest example, their Republican governor is now single handedly picking and choosing who will and won't get to vote in this year's election. This year's election. They also vote in odd-numbered years. That story with voting rights journalist Alex Burness of Bolts Magazine is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of The Bradcast. Welcome back. It's The Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In early March, we were very happy to report on this program for a change, some very good voting rights news. It came out of Minnesota, where Democratic Governor Tim Walz had signed a bill adopted by the now Democratic-led state legislature to automatically restore voting rights to tens of thousands of convicted felons immediately upon them leaving prison rather than waiting until after they are eventually no longer under probation or parole. Tweeting at the time, Governor Walz noted today, I signed a bill into law restoring voting rights for over 55,000 formerly incarcerated people, the largest expansion of voting rights in Minnesota in half a century. He went on to say Minnesota will continue to lead in the fight to keep our elections safe, free and fair for all. With the signature of Governor Walls, Minnesota joins some 21 other largely democratically controlled states that automatically restore the right to vote for some or all ex-felons upon their release from prison. That, according to the Voting Rights Lab, which tracks election laws at the state level. It was just one of many long overdue progressive reforms in Minnesota since the start of the year when Democrats, for the first time in a long time, took trifecta control of both chambers of the state legislature as well as the governor's mansion. Also this past month in New Mexico, which now also enjoys a Democratic legislative trifecta, the state legislature adopted a similar measure to send to the desk of Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham known as the New Mexico Voting Rights Act. Among its many provisions, as we recently noted, the state's HB4 enables people to vote while on probation and parole, a measure that would immediately restore the voting rights of some 11,000 people in uh, in New Mexico. And going forward, as Bolt uh, Bolts magazine's Alex Burness noted at the time, many others would regain the franchise upon release, even though the bill, like Minnesota's, would not yet help people while they are still incarcerated. Democrats in the great state of Oregon, meanwhile, have recently advanced a measure in the state Senate that would allow incarcerated Oregonians to vote. Yes, those still in prison as I have long argued, should be allowed to vote as they are arguably people who are the most directly affected by laws adopted by lawmakers. And as importantly, they are people who should be kept in touch with the civil society that we all hope they may someday rejoin as productive citizens. If passed and signed by the state's Democratic governor, Tina Kotek, Oregon would join Maine, Vermont, and Washington, D.C. in extending the right to vote to all voting age citizens, including those who are incarcerated. And by the way, as Bolts notes, uh, this would make Oregon the first state to restore voting rights for people incarcerated with felonies after taking them away maine and vermont as it turns out never actually stripped incarcerated people of the right to vote in the first place and dc which adopted this reform in 2020 still well isn't a state sadly enough but we are working on it proponents of the measure in oregon hope this propels a national movement going forward well If so, that national movement will have a very difficult time seemingly getting by the Republican controlled states who seem to be working hard to make it more difficult, not less, for their citizens or at least certain segments of their citizenry to vote at all, whether they're former or current felons or none of the above. While Democrats around the nation are working hard to move the clock forward when it comes to democracy and voting rights, as you know, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, Republicans are working very hard to do the opposite, to undermine democracy and increasingly support autocratic rule by far right elites. Today's poster boy example for that is Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, the supposedly moderate, not far right at all Republican, as he's been portrayed by the corporate media and, of course, by himself. But as Alex Burness at Bolts reported yesterday, Governor Glenn Youngkin just gave himself a lot more power to personally pick and choose Virginia voters. The Republican governor's administration told state lawmakers in a letter last week that he was rescinding his predecessor's policy of automatically restoring the voting rights of people with felony convictions. Going forward, Virginians will no longer regain their rights when released from prison, nor at any later point, unless Youngkin personally deems them to be worthy on an individual basis. Quote, we are back to 1902 era policy, said Democratic State Senator Scott Survelle. After Yunkin's administration had notified him of this change, he was referring back to the 1902 convention that designed Virginia's disenfranchisement system with the explicit goal of disenfranchising black residents, a legacy that Burness observes has lived on for many years. As recently as 2016, a full 22 percent of black Virginians were barred from voting in 2016. The news comes in advance of this year's legislative elections in the Commonwealth, which votes unlike most of the country in odd numbered years. And the newly announced, if wildly vague, policy from the governor has already proven to be a disappointment for some would be returning citizen voters. Quote, I've never voted in my life. Sincere Allah told Bolts. I was looking forward to voting this year, he said, after being released from prison the week that Youngkin was inaugurated back in 2022 and who has since waited to learn if his rights would be restored, citing the state's upcoming legislative and prosecutorial elections. Quote, I can pay taxes. I can be held to the same standard as everyone else when it comes to laws and rules and regulations, but I have no say so or representation, noted Allah. Yep, taxation without representation, as some in this country used to oppose. So why is something as critical as voting rights for individuals, whoever they may be, why is that left up to the whims of one single person, in this case, the governor of Virginia in 2023? That, too, reports Burness, is thanks to constitutional language from Quote, extraordinarily dark origins, as State Senator Suravelle told him, adding, quote, uh, I thought we'd settled this debate over the past 12 years of reform, but apparently anything is on the table. Anything indeed, it seems, when it comes to opportunities to disenfranchise Americans that... Well, Republicans don't like. Joining us to discuss what the hell is going on in Virginia in 2023 is Alex Burness, staff reporter at the excellent progressive Bolts magazine. Alex is a veteran journalist who focuses on voting rights, criminalization and the justice system at Bolts after most recently serving as a statehouse reporter for the Denver Post. Alex Burness, welcome, sir. Thank you for joining us today on the broadcast.
1: Thank
2: you so much for having me. So, uh, I guess, you know, what the hell happened here? Last I recall revisiting this issue, Alex, of felon reenfranchisement in Virginia, then-Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe had faced down a challenge from Republicans in his attempt to restore the voting rights of more than 100,000 former felons. His successor, another Democrat, Ralph Norton Northam, did the same. But all of that is, is, is now gone with the new Republican governor, even without the state legislature passing a law or voters changing the Constitution. I mean, it didn't even the Republican governor prior to all of them, Bob McDonald, didn't he seem to also be moving forward in favor of reenfranchisement? Can you sort of run down what has happened over the past few governors to sort of bring us to this point that one man, as you argue, can now, you know, has the power to pick and choose Virginia voters?
1: Yeah, and all those governors had the power to pick and choose Virginia governors. What those three, excuse me, to pick Virginia voters, what those three uh, predecessors had done was to install clear and blanket policies that gave people a sense of, uh, under what circumstances you'd be able to vote. So, by the time starting with McDonald, who as you know was a Republican, mm-hmm. he took a first step by announcing he would restore the voting rights of people convicted of nonviolent offenses after they complete their full sentences. Mm-hmm. This was toward the end of his own term, so this affected about 8,000 people. McAuliffe and then Northam uh, both re enfranchised more than a 100,000 folks each. McAuliffe issued an order after the spat with the courts. He went one by one, mm. restoring people's voting rights individually once they'd completed their entire sentence. McAuliffe, or excuse me, Northam went a step further by saying, "Once you're out of prison, you can vote." And he restored people's rights that way. Mm-hmm. All of these people, at any time, you know, r- retained the right to do what Youngkin is doing now, which is, you know, totally legal under the Virginia Constitution to say that the power to Uh, enfranchise somebody uh, rests purely with the governor. So Mm -hmm. he's just taking advantage of something that's always been there. And that's why when uh, Suravel says, Senator Suravel says, as you know, I thought we'd settled this debate. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of advocates didn't feel so comfortable because Mm -hmm. they understood well that one single election, uh, in this case, the election of Glenn Youngkin, can totally swing things backwards. Mm -hmm. So now Youngkin saying I'm retaining this power that you know Virginia governors have always had I'm not reinventing the wheel here but I'm going to take this on a case by case basis and on top of that he is identifying no clear criteria so it's unclear who would be on his nice list and why
2: <laughs> yeah that that's a bit of a problem did did This matter. uh, Yeah, I guess he has that constitutional power, of course. But did the matter come up at all? You know, it's interesting there. uh, I I mentioned that legislative and and prosecutorial elections are coming up this year. I think this summer, just a few months from now, we'll be having the primaries in the state uh, for that election in November. Did this matter come up? back in, well, two years ago when Youngkin was campaigning for governor in 2021. Was this something that he ran on that voters actually voted for when he was elected?
1: I think that he has never been entirely transparent about how he feels about this. During that election, he did criticize McAuliffe, who was both his predecessor and, of course, opponent in, in that race mm-hmm. for McAuliffe's broad reenfranchisement policy. But He'd been vague about it uh, up till and through his election and really up until the last couple weeks. Uh, it's not totally clear to me what compelled him to even make this announcement now, mm. other than maybe the fact that uh, advocates and uh, lawmakers, people who work in the voting rights space in Virginia, have just gotten so exasperated, wondering why are people on this wait list for so long, people have gotten used to over the course of a decade being re-enfranchised, somewhat promptly and under pretty standard uh, rules. And so there was this frustration growing of, like, why are people still waiting? How, do you, how are you handling this? Finally, a state senator issued a public letter about it, and that's what got Youngkin's administration to say anything. What they've said uh, is not entirely clarifying, because, again, we still don't know what the criteria is going to be, but it is clarifying in the sense that the policy is, I'm going to do whatever I want and at least for the moment I'm not going to tell you what that means. So we don't know. He didn't say during his campaign. Uh he didn't he hasn't said in the last year and he hasn't said now that he's been under some fire in the last uh, week or so whether he will pick people who committed a certain kind of offense uh, or didn't. Whether I mean he could he literally has the power to make up criteria. Yeah. He could do it based on if you own a dog or a cat or anything.
2: Uh, Which is something that we saw not all that long ago in the state of Florida, as I recall. Rick Scott, uh, when he was governor at the time, was having those hearings where you basically had to come hat in hand before, literally before Rick Scott and make the case why you should be allowed to vote. And having one uh, person, one man, uh, you know, of any party making that sort of decision on a case by case basis is kind of, well, is, is disturbing to say the least. Essentially, as I understand it, Alex, a constitutional amendment would be uh, needed here to uh, make this sort of, you know, to make rights restoration automatic rather than leaving it up to the whims of a particular governor. Has there been an effort by Democrats and voting rights advocates for that in Virginia? And and by the way, would it, would it be supported, to your knowledge, uh, by the voters there?
1: Well, I can't speak to what the voters... Uh, in Virginia would do uh, I the, the, the answer is yes there is some momentum toward that uh, Democrats have tried and failed in a number of years to make this happen D- direct democracy is a little bit tricky there's real obstacles to it mm-hmm. in Virginia mm-hmm. um, to place a ballot measure the legislature needs to approve it in back-to-back sessions and in the middle of those sessions has to be an election. So you can see how Mm. it's very easy for something to get thwarted, because Mm -hmm. even if it passes one year, maybe a chamber flips the next year, Mm -hmm. or lawmakers just lose interest, or the political winds blow a different way. So it's understandable why they haven't been able to do this yet. This is one of uh, a million reasons why Virginia's upcoming elections matter, I Mm -hmm. think, particularly with what Youngkin has done now. There is Uh, some renewed passion by folks to settle this once and for all and to not leave this up to to the whims of the governor. So I expect these proposed constitutional amendments to continue to get filed regardless of who controls what chamber, but uh, particularly if Democrats uh, do take over and can sustain some power in the state, all they got to do is approve this two straight years, and, and it'll go to the voters, and Virginia could you know, at very, very long last, escape a situation where the governor gets to pick and choose.
2: A uh, Youngkin spokesperson, you report, uh, had said, quote, "...restoration of rights are assessed on an individual basis according to the law and take into consideration the unique elements of each situation, practicing grace, grace for those who need it and ensuring public safety for our community and families." Do you have any sense, uh, how, how does ensuring public safety play into any of this in, in the minds of uh, of Yunkin? Uh, do you have any idea what, what that is even supposed to mean?
1: Well, of course, there's a lot of experts uh, who would explain that among the many reasons that the people argue in favor of reenfranchisement is, giving people a greater connection uh, to their communities and mm-hmm. making them feel invested in the places they live mm-hmm. helps reduce recidivism. So that there is, a, uh, as a, a number of folks I talked to for this story pointed out, if he if he is about law and order and, uh, quote-unquote, public safety, however he defines that, I guess, but if he's about public safety, one great thing you can do is give people the right to vote. That said, I would be speculating on, on what the subtext of that statement <laughs> is. I think it's pretty artfully crafted and, you know... D- meant uh to say very very little other than it's up to us and deal with it um, that's what we've heard for now when i followed up with the Yunkin administration after i got that statement i didn't hear anything so i think if they wanted to clarify this they've had every opportunity uh, Yunkin's appointed secretary of the commonwealth the top elections official in the state has also issued a public letter on this that also doesn't really say anything clarifying uh, lawmakers who have personally pressed her On it tell me they've got nothing so you know I have a state senator I I quoted in the story saying quote I have absolutely no idea what they consider to be the optimum candidate Uh, I'm in the same boat and can't really say what he means by I'm protecting public safety because he hasn't even attempted to make the case for it
2: and in the meantime uh, it seems like people are just waiting just sitting around waiting to find out if they'll be allowed to vote I mentioned uh, sincere Allah who you had um, uh, reported on you also cite a woman speaking of grace a woman named grace that you interviewed uh, who essentially uh, appears to be demoralized what did what did she tell you about all of this just to get a sense of uh, you know what these folks are are going through as they're sitting around waiting
1: well first i think i should note that for everybody who's quoted in a story like this mm-hmm. saying i wish i could vote and i've tried to apply and i'm waiting and here's how that makes me feel, there are countless people who may have no idea that, that this is going on. And that may be, uh, in the Young administration's eyes, one of the benefits here yes. is sowing some confusion. And, just, I mean, you know, it, 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 for people who don't read the news, who aren't up on these things, there's enough Americans anyway who are enfranchised. Who don't vote? It mm-hmm. takes a while for information to take hold, and yeah. here in Virginia, there's been ten years approximately of this steady march uh, toward a stable and pretty sweeping policy of reenfranchisement. So, in terms of the like uh, misinformation uh, damage that can be done here, I, I think it's really great because people who, again, might not read the news, might not have read Yunkin's open letter, or have no idea about Boltz magazine, they might reasonably assume, well, I'm out of prison, so mm-hmm. like hundreds of thousands be- who came before me in recent years, I'm going to get to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I just, I, w- I worry about those folks mm-hmm. whose stories we, we never hear. As for the people I, I did talk to, I heard from them sort of the inverse of what I hear from people who get re-enfranchised in states like Minnesota or soon to be mm-hmm. in New Mexico. Uh, you hear from those people all the time. This is a huge step for me to feel like I am a part of something. I pay taxes. I have a kid in school. I drive on public roads, et cetera, et cetera. I deserve a say uh, in what goes on in the place that I live, in who's elected. Yeah. Um, so you hear that from these Virginians, too. Um, now, with uh, the added layer of you know, on on top of not only do do I want those you know basic rights uh, to to be involved in my community in this way, on top of that, now there's the state of limbo that that they're in, which the woman I talked to, you mentioned Grace, talked about. Like, I just have no idea what's going to happen, and she is in the same boat as these yeah. uh, state lawmakers, the same boat uh, that, that I am in. Um, I I don't know what Grace needs to do. Maybe she needs to. You know, ha- have an in in the administration. Maybe she needs to have committed a certain kind of offense that Youngkin thinks is less severe than another. I mean, we really just don't know, and we would be speculating. When I talked to her, she sounded frankly exhausted. She's been out of prison for a couple years now, and she had reasonably expected to have this right uh, when she got out, based on recent precedent in Virginia. She's been waiting and waiting, and she has not heard anything about her application. And she sounded sort of resigned. She said to me at one point, "I I, I didn't include this quote in the story, but I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, there's only so much longer that I can fight on this, and mm-hmm. um, you know, let myself care and and be angry about it." You know, she said, "I'll I'll be fine either way. This isn't right, um, but you know what? Maybe I'm just never going to have the right to vote." So there was a. a Pretty sad resignation there. And I heard that uh, from a couple folks.
2: Yeah, she said it makes her feel like she's not a citizen. She did the crime, but I still have lost my rights. She notes it, it kind of heartbreaking, uh, but also seems kind of counterproductive, at least if your goal is to, you know, restore your citizenry. But apparently that's not really the goal of Republicans It seems in this case and uh, the vagueness about all of this, like you said, the people who don't even know there's a a debate here going on. You know, given what we saw in Florida recently, where uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has been sort of rounding up people of color who voted unknowingly in their case, illegally uh, under the state's also vague new felon reenfranchisement measure. Is there a concern in Virginia among voting rights advocates and former felons that they could be in trouble for simply voting or trying to to vote as we saw happen in florida and i gotta tell you i really think that had uh that that may have gone quite a long way last november to keeping people away from the polls people who were allowed to vote but frightened about what might happen to them if they did
1: yeah so first of all i mean i i feel fairly certain in predicting that the that this will have the effect of spooking a good number of people who will wonder. I mean, I, I, I talked to folks uh, for this story who said that, that they're in touch with, with people who have been re-enfranchised already, who Yunkin mm-hmm. cannot legally touch anymore. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you were re-enfranchised by Northam or McAuliffe or uh, Bob McDonnell, Yunkin, whether he wants to or not, can't do anything about mm-hmm. that. You are allowed to vote. And those people are uh, even expressing some doubt. Like, am I going to get mm. in trouble if I try to vote now? Mm. So the effect of, of spooking people away from the polls yeah. or away from registering to begin with, that seems, you know, quite likely that that'll happen. As for actual criminalization, I don't know, of course. But, yeah, for sure that's a real concern mm. right now. I heard that from virtually everybody I talked to for this story. And a number of folks made the point that, look, you know, there's the policy that we want uh, which is universal suffrage or as close to universal a- as we can get here. But in lieu of that, at minimum, it would be great to get some clarity so that people know who's allowed to vote, who's not, that whether you like what Northam did, whether you, you know, would would, would prefer uh, somebody who is m- much harsher than he was, you know, at least you want to have some confidence in what's going on. I mean, the um, legislative director of Americans for Prosperity... yeah said this to me, right? So mm-hmm. this, this is not some, you know, just progressive pro-voting rights, it, let everybody vote from prison kind of argument. And, and people need confidence.
2: Yeah, and that's sort of uh, my last question here. I've only uh, got a, a few seconds, but this I wanted to uh, point up. This is sort of one a quirky element of all of this. The far-right Koch network supported Americans for prosperity, as you mentioned, as as they also did in Florida. They're actually pushing for a constitutional amendment in Virginia to restore felon voting rights. Which, you know, I'm the first one to call out Republicans because I think that they are the ones who are actually, you know, fighting against voting rights. But then you've got this strange Americans for Prosperity, supported by Koch, which is supporting the reenfranchisement of felon former felons, seems very non-republican of them. do you can you explain to me? do you have any idea what why that why this has become a thing for that group?
1: I can only really speak to my uh, conversation with this particular branch, branch's legislative director, who mm-hmm. said to me that there are real public safety benefits to it. I mean, I think if you're having an intellectually honest conversation about this and you move past the first layer of, you know, the, the moral argument, do you know, are, are, is voting a right or a privilege? Mm-hmm. Uh, do people deserve to ever have this revoked period? If for a lot of people the argument, starts and ends there. But if you move past, there are real arguments, like I mentioned earlier, for the public on the public safety front for doing this, for mm-hmm. giving people an investment in their community. You know, according to this guy with AFP, that's attractive to them. They've worked for many years in support of constitutional amendments their proposed ones, and I expect them to keep doing it. So sometimes <laughs> this is one of those issues that I, I guess creates some strange bedfellows. Yeah. And Maybe that is uh, an auspicious sign for anybody backing this. That if it ever got to the ballot, this would not just be some sort of party line thing. I think a lot of people, if they actually make an honest attempt to understand the arguments for and against it, uh, would probably come out for it.
2: Exactly, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know why they're on the right side of this issue. They usually aren't, but I will take it when they are. And their support in the uh, of the measure down in Florida ended up. You know, being a landslide, I think it was something like 60, 40% passed finally in Florida to re enfranchise most former felons down there. Alex Burness, uh, really appreciate your reporting on all of this. Going to keep our eyes on it. Hope to talk to you more about all of this stuff as it uh, moves forward, as it hopefully gets better. Uh, state One state at a time, I guess. Alex Burness is the staff reporter at the excellent progressive Bolts Magazine. You can find their work and his at boltsmag.org You can follow him on the Twitters at alex underscore Burness, and you can follow Bolts there as well at Bolt's Mag. Alex, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks. Hope to talk to you again soon.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on.
2: You bet. All right, let's take a very quick break and we'll come back with some sorry, some more <laughs> bad news about voting. <laughs>
0: <sighs> it is what it is. It is
2: what it is. And it is straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: You're listening to an Encore presentation of The Bradcast.
2: Welcome back to The Bradcast, holding the line for democracy as best as we can here. Uh, Yesterday, we took some time discussing how Arkansas's new Republican governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, that would be Donald Trump's former press secretary, and chief liar for a while, uh, she has just signed a bill to make it much harder for residents, specifically Democratic residents of the state, to place ballot initiatives on the statewide ballot for voters. That after Republicans uh, had attempted to do the uh, same thing to restrict ballot initiatives by putting out a ballot initiative of their own, which failed hugely. So instead, they just did it by statute in the GOP-controlled legislature, even though it's almost certainly in violation of the state constitution.
0: Because Republicans.
2: Yeah. Who uh, don't seem to care about such, you know, things anymore. Uh, These anti-American, anti-democracy people. Anyway, Huckabee Sanders and the Republican state legislature, while they weren't done when it comes to turning back democracy in favor of autocracy. As noted in the latest edition of Pacifica Radio's American Democracy Minute.
5: You're listening to the American Democracy Minute, keeping your government by and for the people. If you live in Arkansas, three bills just signed by the governor just made voting more complicated for the state's vulnerable citizens who use absentee ballots and the election workers who count those ballots. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed HB 1411 prohibiting the proactive sending of absentee ballots by election officials, criminalizing it as a misdemeanor. Some pro-voter states allow permanent vote-by-mail lists, aiding disabled and elderly voters. If you receive your absentee ballot, you'll no longer have access to drop boxes to return it. Where some states restricted them to only secure locations, Arkansas has banned them all together with SB 258, joining South Dakota's similar ban signed earlier this month. It's true that processing mail-in ballots takes longer than in-person ballots, which is why, since the height of the pandemic, many states have allowed mail ballots to be pre-processed before election day. Arkansas, SB 250 mandates that the count be completed, quote, within 24 hours of the close of the polls and with no significant breaks in the counting process. This is on top of 2021's HB 1715, which added extra absentee verification requirements and made the returning of four or more absentee ballots an act of voter fraud. The Conservative Heritage Foundation counts only three cases of voter fraud since 2002. We have links to Arkansas's new laws and the groups taking action at americandemocracyminute.org. I'm Brian Beal.
2: So that was Brian Beale, Yeah. Three uh, stories of how they are making it harder to vote in Arkansas. Good Lord. And by the way, uh, it's not Arkansas that's doing that. It is Arkansas Republicans that are doing that. Good point. Once again, not noted, but it should be. Come on, media, get with it, even Pacifica Radio. Uh, I do like uh, the American Democracy Minute, however, and Brian Beale. so check them out. we got to get out. My thanks again to my guest today, Alex Burness of Bolts Magazine, to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to donate there or stop by bradblog.com slash donate to do exactly that. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons, you will find me at The Brad Blog. Please follow and say hello. Love to see you there. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.